Amen. Grab a seat, church. How we doing? Woo! Some of you were trying to sit and woo at the same time. Proved a little difficult. Hey, if you're, uh, if you're new with us, uh, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at, uh, at First Baptist Hanford. We're excited that you're here with us. This is an exciting week. This is largely a, uh, a week that I've been anticipating for a really long time um, that's just been kind of marching toward us and marching toward us and marching toward us. Um, and so uh, the reason I say that is because uh, for the last six months, or so, um, we've been we've been doing a lot of work around here. Some of which you've been able to see, some of which you haven't been able to see. Um, but that being said, is we are launching into a new vision and a new direction for our church. And so we're going to walk through that today. Um, and so again, if you're new with us, this is like your first time. Great, you don't know anything else. So to you, this is just the way we do things. Um, but uh, but in your in your programs today, you all had got uh, some window decals, and so our hope would be that you would throw those on your car. If uh, you're like uh, our worship pastor Kyle and said that he is not a great representation of Christ sometimes when he's in his car and choose not to put it on your back window. Totally okay. What we would ask, though, is that uh, if, if you're not interested in it, you don't want it or whatever, you only need one or whatever it is, uh, our ushers will be happy to take those from you at the end of service. You can actually just drop them in the same bas- basket. You'll drop your, uh, your Connect card in, uh, in there. But... Uh, before we launch into our new vision and our new direction for the church, I want to I take you back to, to a little over a year ago now, actually. Um, and uh, a little over a year ago, I sat in a, uh, in a Starbucks in Kingsburg with a Scottish man named Gilbert. Um, I had to ask him to repeat about five different things that he said because I was like, I don't know if you're speaking English right now, man. And then he mocked me for being American. So thank you, Gilbert, for those of you who know him. That's not out of, uh, out of sorts. Um, but, uh, but I was sitting, sitting with him, and I wasn't, I wasn't there to talk to him uh, about a church in Hanford. Uh, I was there actually to talk to him about a, uh, a different church. And, and as he and I were kind of discussing things, it didn't seem like that church was going to be a viable option for, uh, for my family and I. Um, so I got up to leave. I thanked him for the coffee and he stared at me and he said, hold on, sit back down. I want to talk to you about, about another chart church. It's called first Baptist Hanford. And I was like, yay. Okay. All right. Pipe down. Um, but uh, that wasn't to scratch your back. Okay. (laughs) Um, but uh, so I sat back down and we chatted for a bit about this church that's off, off the 99 corridor. And, uh, and the reason I say that is, is because growing up for me, I burned a trail up and down the 99. I grew up in Atwater. Um, I, uh, I went, to, went to college for a year up at Chico State, which is just above Sacramento. Um, and so that's off the 99. Like to get on to, to get to Chico, I would get on the 99, drive for three hours and get off the 99. Like that's how you get to Chico. Um, so I went there. I went to school for a year, a uh, year and a half in Merced, um, which is also on the 99. And then I met a, uh, a beautiful young lady named Sarah Bergstrom, who was going to Fresno State at the time. And I didn't have any plans. So I was like, I'm going to follow her. She's pretty. Um, so I drove. I, <laughs> I went to school at Fresno. Um, and then uh, Sarah and I got married and I got a job as a, uh, as a youth pastor in Selma. And so obviously Selma's on the 99. And then uh, after that, I got a job teaching English in Kingsburg. That's on the 99. Um, and so my entire life, my whole everything regarding the Central Valley was Highway 99. 
And honestly, when I was working in Selma, I knew some kids from Hanford just because I would go to Emmanuel for lunches and that sort of thing. Um, So I knew some students who were out in Hanford. But outside of that, man, the only real context I had for it was, one, they have some of the best ice cream you'll ever eat. Yeah. Woo. Um, and, And two, don't drink the water. That's all... That's all I knew about Hanford. I actually told the pulpit committee that, I think, when they were interviewing me. Um, but uh, but after, after talking with Gilbert uh, that first time, we wanted to be open to God's leading uh, in, in the entirety of our life. So, so we continued a discussion with him, which turned into a discussion with Ellen Weaver and the pulpit committee. Um, and then uh, that conversation has turned into a great first six months here that I've been here at FB Hanford. But what I want to do... Um, uh, is take you back a little bit more even into, into some of those conversations that I had with the pulpit committee. And some of you have heard this, some of you haven't. Uh, but when I was in the middle of that process with the pulpit committee, they asked me what I would do to change FBH. There's a question, and they essentially said, hey, why don't you have a couple talking points to let us know some of the things that you would want to do at FBH. Uh, they, they asked me to put together a plan for the church, and the best I could do with the information I had was that we would look at one of the greatest examples of leadership uh, in Scripture and take a page out of the book of Nehemiah. And so honestly, our process, as we've gone through this whole thing, our process for change has been the book of Nehemiah. And some of you guys know that, some of you don't, that's okay. But something that we need to know before we jump into the verses here in Nehemiah is is right before the passage that we're going to get to, um, uh, Hananiah, it's Nehemiah's brother, and some other guys came to Nehemiah and told him that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and the gates were burned with fire. Obviously, there's a change there that needed to take place. But rather than Nehemiah grabbing a hammer, Nehemiah decided rather to, to hit his knees and began to petition God for what he hoped would happen. Began to pray to the Lord and seek his guidance and seek his wisdom. And so Nehemiah's prayer is in chapter one, verses four through nine, and we're going to read it. It says this, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and tasted or not tasted. Nope. That's fasted. I've gotten old in the last six months, guys. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and my commands, then even your exiled people are at the furthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as dwelling for my name. So when I came in and had a conversation with the pulpit committee, I told them I would never come in with a hammer. I would never come in with a chainsaw, start slashing and building in my own strength. That's the exact opposite of what I wanted to do. Before any change happens, I would petition the Lord. I was very upfront with them about this. And I was really hoping they were going to be okay with it. Because honestly, I didn't have a 10-point plan saying, if we do this, 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 and this, we are going to be the greatest church who ever was on the face of the planet. 
right? Better than the early church. Acts 2, forget about it, right? I didn't say that. I said, I don't know. I don't know where we need to go, but this is where we're going to start. If it's good enough for Nehemiah, you better believe it's good enough for me. And so I said, that's where, that's where we're going to start. So, and that's what we've done. And that's what we've continued to do is pray and pray and pray and pray some more over and over and over again. I told the pulpit committee that I wouldn't make any changes as to the best of our ability anyway, for the first six months. Well, I started July 4th, which means we're two days late, everybody. <laughs> that's fine. It's okay. Trust me. <clears throat> But as we went through it, I told them honestly that I I didn't know what we were going to do yet. I needed to come. Looking at Nehemiah's example, we're going to pray about this and we're going to come and and we're going to inspect the ministry that's been done. And that's exactly what I did. And that's exactly what I did. It's exactly what I asked Jeff to do. It's uh, our ladies who work in the office. That's what I asked them to do. As we, as we hired new children's, children's ministry directors, as, as, as I've had more conversations with our youth directors and student directors, I've asked them to evaluate these things. Look at our ministry. Where are we at? And so some of the, the fantastic things that we've come up with, that, that we've uncovered, some of the incredible things that we've uncovered is a couple of things. First thing, we have a committed church family. We have an incredibly committed church family. And beyond that, we have an incredibly strong core. Those two things are two of the things that drew me to FBH. People who are here, people who love the Lord, people who are committed to the Lord. Those are incredibly powerful things. There's close-knit and meaningful relationships that are here. And that's because you've known and loved each other for so long. You've gone through life with one another. And so even as we heard the news of, of Barbara this morning... And the dire straits that she's in, even now, there are people who, who are just focusing on that. And that's 100% fine because of the fact that you have done life with them. There is an incredibly strong, committed core to that. And beyond that, there's a spiritual maturity among us as well. Through seasons of triumph, seasons of heartache, you've endured because of your love of Christ and your devotion to this church. There's also been continued pastoral leadership here for a long time. I don't think you are aware of how lucky this church had been to have as little turnover as this church did for, for so long. It is so rare. Between Pastor Gary, Pastor Bob, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Russell, Pastor Betty, and Youth Pastor Ben. All those people had a combined tenure here of over 125 years. It's nuts to look at something like that. The context that I've been in, you're lucky to find a combined tenure of people of over 50 years. We're more than, we're more than double that. So it's absolutely incredible to see something like that to which we need to thank them though. Even though not all of them are here, we need to thank them for their, for their faithful service. Can you give them a round of applause, please? Many of you in the room, uh, we also have a regular practice of spiritual disciplines. That's another thing that this church does well in prayer and Bible study and worship and serving and in fellowship. Regular spiritual disciplines that we do. It's been evident with the numerous questions I get regarding my sermons, the numerous questions I get regarding why we do different things or what are your thoughts on different things. Uh, these are people, you are people who are actively petitioning the Lord and making sure that our church is going to continue to honor him with the direction and the vision that he has given me. And so that's an incredibly huge 
positive. And it's, it's impossible to come to this church and not feel the rich history that, this has, been, that has been a part of this place. I had the opportunity to, uh, to dig through some of our archives and found some pretty incredible artifacts that as, a, as our church walked faithfully doing our best to honor God for its 125 plus year span. If you haven't gotten the opportunity to walk through this hallway behind the stage, come out here, walk through the hallway, and we have a timeline that we put together of artifacts of our church that start all the way back in 1892. We have our first board minutes. We have some really other incredible things that are on there. 1944, about four days after D-Day, our church called an emergency meeting um, to give $7,000 worth of war bonds to, to fight evil in this world. I mean, I got to dig through an incredibly rich history of this place, and, and I gained such an, a humbling understanding of a small part that, that we all get to play in the midst of this entire thing. And so it's incredibly humbling. So please take an opportunity to, to walk through that hallway, either of these doors, but to start at 1892, go through that door. You're not time traveling though. Just go through, go through that door. Beyond that, in those things, I found pastor after pastor who had, had faithfully served. And the more I dig, the more I realize that this church has been a mainstay in our community. And in a hundred years time, I would count myself lucky to be a part of a church whose goal since its inception has been to introduce people to Jesus and make disciples of those same people. There are a lot of great things about our church. I love this church. I love the people here. I love the wisdom here. I love the maturity here, but it's time for a new vision and new direction, but it isn't something that I could do on my own. I was very, very aware of that. I need people behind me to bounce ideas off of, people behind me to keep me grounded. I need people behind me to help discern the voice of God and his direction for the church, just like Nehemiah. You see, when I, when I got here, I don't know how other churches do it or other pastors do it when there is no other ministerial staff around. But Jeff Milhan has been the single most valuable resource to me as we got into this church and are continuing to move forward and he will continue to be so. Man, but regardless of that, I need, we need people behind us to bounce ideas off of, just like Nehemiah. You see, after Nehemiah inspects the walls, he talks to the king to get permission and guarantee safe passage. And he devises a plan with a few other people. The thing, the thing that sticks out to me here is again, Nehemiah didn't just go and Nehemiah didn't just go and start hammering. He didn't simply abandon his other work without first talking to the king. He didn't go at it alone and neither have we. After prayer and observation, Jeff and I went to Cayucas. Um, I know it was a hard couple work days for us in Cayucas. It also happened to be, I think, like September. So while all of you were sweating here, we were having a great time. Um, but Jeff and I went to Cayucas for a few days to begin the planning of what we needed to do. And after Jeff and I came up with a plan, we talked with the rest of our staff. And then after we talked with the rest of our staff, we talked to our executive board. And then after I talked to the executive board, I presented it to our pulpit committee. 
And after I talked with the pulpit committee, I talked to numerous lay leaders. We had a dinner at my house with numerous lay leaders in the congregation, people who are running ministries or who've, who've been uh, Bible study leaders and that sort of thing, who hadn't yet heard the vision and where the direction we were going. So I had them come over. And, and the last thing I asked everybody consistently over and over and over again, if you have questions, if you have concerns, come and talk to me. And people have. And I've answered questions. We've had to tweak things. We've had to move things around to make sure things that were in my blind spots that I'm well aware that people who have a strong relationship with Christ were going to be able to point out to me in my own blind spots and just not having a historical context for the church as much as, I, as, much as others did. And so I heeded their advice and we were able to move things and shift things and change things. And after numerous conversations, we've arrived here on a most incredible Sunday that I am both terrified and excited to be a part of. And if that's not where we are living our lives for Christ, then we need to evaluate where we are. That we should both be incredibly excited and incredibly terrified where the Lord is going to lead us, not just as a church, but in our individual spiritual lives as well. One of the things that we need to be incredibly clear with is that this direction and vision, it's not just a Peter thing. It's not just a staff thing. This has to be something that we as a church have all hands on deck for, that we're all bought into. We all understand and we all implement, not on a Sunday, not just on a Wednesday night, on a regular basis in our lives. So the question remains, though, why is it that we need a new vision? Because we've talked about our strengths. Let's talk about some of our deficiencies for a second. So at our peak, we were over 700 attendees. Right now, we're averaging between 350, 360 people, roughly. At the average, the average age of our congregation goes up every year. This is great regarding wisdom, but if something isn't done to reach young families, kids, and teens, our church will die. Our mortgage debt is $3.2 million. Heck, got real quiet in here. So if any of you (laughs) haven't tithed on your $300 million income this year, just please let me know. Uh, Our racial demographics don't match Hanford as a whole. There's no ministry unity, meaning that every single ministry is doing whatever they want to reach people for Jesus, which is fine. But we want to be focused. We want to simplify what we're doing. And so from the time that kids come out of the womb all the way to they are in got to be true in our senior adult ministries, we want them to have the same game plan moving forward. So as they change from life stage to life stage, they know exactly what it is that they are going to expect. That there's not whiplash for students going from junior high to high school. So they know exactly what it is that they can expect as they get to high school. And one of the biggest drop-off rates from high school into college and post-college That they understand that church, they don't have to relearn how to do church. They don't have to relearn what it is that they'll be doing. They recognize that the things that they did in high school are the same things that they're going to be asked to do as a part of of the entire church. So we need to simplify what it is we're doing and align student ministry or ministries as a whole. Next one is our location. Our building is an incredible facility. Kyle talks to me almost every week about how massive our stage is and how much he hates it. (laughs) This stage is massive. And I understand it was to put like a thousand foot tall Christmas tree on the stage. I get that. 
but it's massive. But, but our location in itself, our building is an incredible place. So many churches would love to have a facility that looks like our facility. That being said, when we moved away from downtown, the intention wasn't to become an island, but ultimately that's what we've become. We're becoming a place where we want people to come to us rather than a very clear biblical mandate for us to go to them. And so while our building, again, is an incredible place, it also plays against us. And there's others. From the Growing Healthy Churches uh, uh, report, there were a few areas of concern also. Some of these are still concerns. Others have been cleaned up by Jeff before I got here. Um, So a couple of things. Clarity of a compelling mission is missing. Hopefully we take care of that this morning. Unity and trust was an issue. I think we're coming out of that season. Um, I think our, our board and our staff have worked closely since I got on board to move our congregation forward. And while there are differences of opinion, we agree that everything that we do is to proclaim the name of Christ. So we trust one another in that. Worship services on Sunday morning. They said there was a lack of creativity and engagement with present day culture and a younger generation. There is a strong inwardness language and a feel that discourages newcomers. Jeff saw that and he and, and Tom, when he was here, did their best to kind of bolster our usher and greeter team. Um, and one of the main things I've gotten from people that have come through, my friends who have come through, who wouldn't be a part of our church, but are a part of churches elsewhere. One of the main responses I get from people is that your church is so friendly. Your church is so welcoming over and over and over again. And so I think we've made some headway on that. Another one, children's student ministries are struggling. There seems to be a reliance on bygone days and new vision with fresh ideas and greater understanding of today's culture needs to be embraced. There was another one that was one of the most troubling to me. It just said lack of evangelism. And the last one, of course, dead on the building. And none of these things are fun to talk about. Every single one of these things sting a bit depending on where you're sitting. Depending on the different ministries that you've been a part of, the history that you've had with our church, whatever it is, all of these things touch and strike a different nerve in us. Me working in student ministries for 12, 13 years, however long I was in it, man, the student ministry thing stings a lot. I want our students to be in a place to be able to, man, like if students are anywhere on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, I want them to be in church worshiping God and honoring God and becoming disciples of him. The children's one as a dad hurts. It strikes me right at the heart because I want my kids to grow up in a place knowing that church is the most fun and creative place on the entire planet because God created fun and God created creativity. And in the midst of all of those things, they can learn about truth. They can learn about who he is. They can learn about his son. I want our our, our children's ministry to be something that young families say, man, if my kids are going to get plugged in to any church anywhere and learn about Jesus, I want it to be First Baptist Hanford. There are a whole lot of things, depending on where you sit, that we just need to to shift, things that we need to change. And our deficiencies aren't the only reason we need a new vision in a new direction. The world today is vastly different than the world that I grew up in. And the world today is, is vastly different from those of you who are older than me. Yeah. Got two. Only two are willing to admit they're older than me in this room. Awesome. But let me share some statistics with you from a recent book that I read. It says, with the rise of the internet, the information age, and post 9-11, 
uh, it gave rise to a group of people who called themselves the nuns. Nuns, not like the religious, the religious kind, the N-U-N-S nuns. It's the N-O-N-E-S nuns. And the nuns are people who are completely unaffiliated with religion. They say we are unaffiliated with it. They wouldn't call themselves atheists. They wouldn't call themselves agnostic. They would call themselves nothing. I am a nun. Today in America, 25% of Americans and a good chunk of those are my age and below would consider themselves religiously unaffiliated. 25%. So whatever statistic that we've been throwing around for a really long time saying 80 some percent of people attend church or say that they love Jesus on a regular basis is not true. It's a dated statistic from before 2001. Our world is shifting incredibly rapidly. And the scary part about all this is in, is in 2007, the statistics, that same statistic was only 16%. Which says in the last 12 years, that number has almost doubled in 12 years. 35% of people under the age of 35 would consider themselves a nun. And 70% of those same people believe that the Bible is a complete and total myth. And many of us shake our heads in here and we're frustrated by those stats. And I'm frustrated by those stats. But the reality is twofold. One, these aren't people you don't know. These are people you absolutely know. These are people who are your siblings. These are people who are your kids. These are people who are your grandkids. These are people who are, who are nephews and nieces and aunts and uncles. People who said, you know what? Religion doesn't work. Because the question is no longer, in today's America, the question is no longer, is it true? The question is, does it work? Right or wrong? That's the question the nuns are asking themselves. Does it work? And by and large, their answer is no. And that's heartbreaking. The second piece of that is, is unless the church does something to better reach these people, that segment of the population is going to continue to grow. And guess what? Our church will die. So church, we need to do something about it. We need to stand up and say that we're not going to stand for it anymore. We're going to employ programs and strategies that people who don't like the church ultimately want to be a part of. The situation is dire and not just in our church. The entire landscape of church in the 21st century America is in dire straits right now. Beyond just that, we want to be married to our mission, not our model. I've said this over and over and over again. I wish I could take credit for that quote, but I can't. It's somebody else's. We want to be married to our mission, not our, not our model. What I mean by that is we have a very clear mission. We have a very clear mandate in scripture as to what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to go into the world, make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're supposed to do. That's our mission. That will never change. However, we need to date our method. So what happens is oftentimes in churches in America is, is they reach a certain point. And man, we reached a point probably about mm, 2006, 2007 as a church. And I've, and I've charted our growth over the course of the last 20 something years, thanks to Pastor Bob, who gave me all the numbers. And this church was on the rise until about the mid 2000s. And what happened was it went like this and then it went like this. And we plateaued for a long time. And then about four years ago, it did this. And it just completely and totally 
tailed off. And one of the reasons isn't because our doctrine changed. It wasn't even because of staff issues. It wasn't because of differences of opinion. It's because we failed to recognize that we need to date our method, not marry it. Our method has to change. The way we approach ministry has to change. Or else our church will die. So, all that being said, now that I've struck fear into the hearts of everybody in the room, let's see where we're going. So, what are we going to do? First things first, you walked in, you saw our new branding, okay? Branding's great. Um, Ultimately... Uh, it's on your programs, it's on your walls, it's on our new signage. You can put it on your car if you feel like you're a good enough driver to do so. Um, but, but ultimately what branding does is it signifies a turning of the page from what once was to where we're going. So I walked in and Jeff had just rebranded. And I think that was an incredibly important time in, in the life of our church. Those 18 months between my, between pastor Gary and myself, when Jeff came in and Jeff cleaned up a whole lot of stuff with the help of a whole lot of people, but Jeff recognized that we need to signify a turning of the page. And we did. And that was important. And now we get the opportunity to do that again. And we get to do it in perpetuity from this point forward. And so, so some of you are curious, that's a, that's a strange looking brand. Why that? Why the X? Well, uh, the nice thing about this logo is, is uh, that I talk with some friends of mine who are professional designers, actually. They, tr- they work in church design specifically. They're designers. They're communicators. They donated some of their time to our church and came here and said, Peter, tell me everything you know about FBH. So I did. And I blurted it all out and I said, man, one of my favorite things is in 1892, our church was started in a train car. And they're like, wow, that's awesome. So now let's look at that logo again and look at that X at the front. One of the things that we've consistently tried to do is figure out how to honor our past and be able to stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us and at the same time be able to move forward. That X is an incredibly strong indication that we love our past. We love where we've been. And that being said, we get the opportunity like so many churches don't to be able to stand on those people's shoulders who came before us. So you'll see that on a regular basis beyond just our, our regular brand. One of the other things that we're going to be doing is uh, we're going to be doing something called common language branding because we, we, we want new people to understand how to navigate our programs and navigate the different things that we're able to offer here. So our branding will move from more individualized names and brands like Glow Student Ministries and that sort of thing to more simple things like FB high, FBH High School or FBH Kids. We want people to come into our doors to feel like they understand us as they are walking in. Not that they have to spend six months here in order to understand what class they're supposed to check their kid into. So we're going to go to something like this. We want people who have no context for church to understand very simply what our church offers for every single age group. We want our church to be a simple on-ramp for anyone who walks walks into our doors. So one of the things this, this will help is uh, it, it'll help combat the internal language that we even heard about um, from growing healthy churches. We're doing this for the same reason that I come, when I come to a theological word in my sermons, I stop and take a set to, second to explain that word. 
Because we don't want people coming in here. And if you're new for the first time, you're getting a peek behind the curtain. We don't want people coming in here thinking, walking away thinking, man, that was a, I, I learned some things in that sermon, but I heard four words today that I didn't know. And they seem like they would be important to that message. We want people to come in here and, and feel like they don't need to know anything to come and encounter Jesus. That's one of the reasons that we're doing this. But a picture of how we represent ourselves to others doesn't change the health of the direction of the church. I think we're all smart enough to know that. One of the big parts of what we need to do is simplify what it is that we're doing. Our church does a good job at a lot of things in a, in a pretty decent fashion. When I walked in, our church was doing just about everything a church would do. Just about, not quite, but just about. Which means that everything that we were doing, we were doing at about an 80% capacity. And so what we need to be able to do is simplify, scale back, and do a few things really well rather than everything okay. So what that means is we're going to simplify our mission statement even. Some of you have seen it as you walked around. Our mission statement is simply love God, love others, and serve the world. There should be a, a slide for that right there. You'll see the X again. So as you look at that X, as you look at the X on our branding, that should be a regular reminder to you that, man, our goal as a church is threefold. It's super biblical. It's super simple. Love God, love people, serve the world. That's it. That's what we're asking you to do as a church. And if you disagree with that, that's fine. But just know you're disagreeing with scripture. Love God, love others, serve the world. We're going to dive deeper into what each of those mean for us in our present and future context in the next few weeks. And so love God will be next week. Love people will be in two weeks and serve the world will be in three weeks. The mission's simple. It's biblical. It's easy to understand and reminds us and informs us, uh, informs those who aren't a part of us uh, that we're not just about ourselves. We're not just about our own spirituality. We are about loving people and serving the entire world, regardless of who they are or regardless of where they're at in their walk with Christ. And it's because of the fact that we love God first. So say it with me again, love God. Good. Love people serve the world. Okay. There wasn't a lot of enthusiasm there, but you'll get another chance in a little bit. Okay. So again, though, those words on a page aren't going to change who we are at its core. So within that mission, we need to clarify what it is that we do in order to enact that mission statement and get back to the balanced scale of evangelism and discipleship. So this is a, evangelism, this is a spectrum, not a scale. Evangelism and discipleship. Okay? And when I came in, largely, like these two things should be held in tension at a regular basis. But when I came in, what it looked like was a little bit more like this. We slid over to the discipleship side. And this isn't an uncommon thing for churches, especially churches as old as ours, okay? They just tend to slide towards discipleship. And it's not even a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's the reason that we have produced faithful believers and people who love Jesus a whole lot. It's because we've slid towards the discipleship side of things, our aim in all of this, though, is to get back to the center on this spectrum. What we need to do then overall is simplify our approach and make sure that everything we're doing feeds into our new mantra of love God, love people, and serve the world. Say it with me. Love God, love people, serve the world. Good. Brainwashing is moving forward. It's good. 
So we are going to be employing five tactics, five things. And I've had numerous meetings already and continue to have more meetings about saying no to the things that aren't feeding into, uh, that aren't feeding into the next few things I'm going to share with you and saying yes to everything that does. What has happened is the church at some point turned our nice soft glow of a candle or, or turned into this nice soft glow of a candle. And candles are great. Candles are great for relaxing. They're great for unwinding, providing a little bit of light. But the church isn't made for that purpose. The church is a battleship intended to prepare and unleash believers into a world that doesn't know Jesus. And we want to simplify so we can stop being a soft glow and begin to be a laser. We want to be a laser that both impacts and penetrates the world for the kingdom of God every single day. So all we do will be aimed at these five things and these five things only. So let's start with evangelism tactics. Evangelism tactics. First one is oikos. I've alluded to this several times. In the coming weeks, we'll be talking about it more. We're going to be doing even an entire series on the idea of oikos. So no, you'll get more information on this. But the fact remains that 95% of people come to faith in Christ in church attendance because someone they already knew simply invited them. You want to know what our plan for evangelism is? You. And that shouldn't be a surprise. Because 95% of you in this room came to church because somebody you already knew either brought you by your ear or the nape of your neck and said, get in the car, we're going to church. Or somebody cared enough about you to invite you. And maybe you're sitting next to that person right now. But simply speaking, there's 8 to 15 people that God has both supernaturally because he is God and strategically because he knows who doesn't yet know him and wants him to be in a saving relationship with him. He's placed eight to 15 people in our life to impact for the kingdom of God. It's our responsibility to impact those people through the way we live our life, the way we love them, the way, the way we work in our jobs, the way we interact with them. And the most important piece through us actually talking to them about who Jesus is. We don't need to learn more. And the church loves learning right now in your pocket. You have access to more information about Jesus and the Bible and scripture than anyone has ever had in the face of the earth on the face of the earth ever. But we love to say, no, I just need to learn more. I just need to learn more. And then I'll be prepared. No, you don't. You know what we need to do? We need to do more. I'm not saying learning is bad. Scripture is very clear. You need to learn. You need to read. You need to understand, but, but we're supposed to do these. These things are for a purpose. You do this, you study, you learn for the sake of being able to tell other people about what you learned. It's not for your own, it's not for your own edification. That's part of it, but it's information to be shared with other people. So Oikos is number one. Your second one there is going to be outreach events, outreach events. We as a church will be doing more things that are externally focused, not internally focused. We are interested in bringing more people into the family of God, not merely making people who have been a part of the church forever comfortable. So if you have a good idea for an event we should put forth, that's awesome. But if the outreach event will not be of the, will not be of the interest to a non-believing world, the answer regarding if we do that event or not will be one of two things. No, or let's figure out how to make that work for those who don't yet know Jesus. 
So the second piece of all of it then is discipleship tactics. Okay, we've talked about evangelism. We get it. We need to evangelize people. We need to talk to people. All that stuff is great. How are we going to become mature Christians? A couple things. First thing is Sundays. Sunday mornings need to meet multiple levels of discipleship. They need to be a place where people can worship God and be challenged to grow spiritually. They also need to be a front door where those who are not familiar with church can come and meet Jesus for the first time. And beyond that, enjoy themselves while they're doing it. If you think that church shouldn't be enjoyable, you're wrong. Church should be the most enjoyable place in the entire world. We get to meet our Savior here on a regular basis. One of the first changes then that we'll be making is that we're implementing beginning February 3rd is a new service time, which should be 10 a.m. So write that down. You'll have some more notes on that in the coming weeks to remind you, but service will start at 10 a.m., not 10.15. Why? Because 10.15 is a weird time for people who aren't a part of our church. That's why. So if you're concerned, that's going to be my answer because it's weird. Also regarding Sundays, there's been a lot of talk regarding music for the last four years at our church. So I'm going to face it head on. If you want to nail me to a wall later on, feel free. I'm going on vacation for four days. So that's Kyle at fbhanford.org. <laughs> I actually am going on vacation for a few days. Um, but people have discussed their preferences. They've talked about what they feel is worship and isn't worship. And the nice thing about worship and specifically worship through music is that it's not about us. And thank God for that. Worship's about God and how we honor him with our voices. So as we do our best to encourage new people to come and to be a part of our congregation, our musical preferences will be set aside to encourage new people to participate in what it is that we're doing as a church. It's not about your comfort. Let me say it again. It is not about your comfort. We want people who don't have a lot of context to church to come through our doors and be excited. They get to be a part of a worship service that enjoys excellence. It enjoys relevance. And of course, it enjoys tradition. We're not turning our back on things. Hopefully you heard that with Kyle this morning. Kyle got the opportunity to play two hymns this morning to an upbeat, to an upbeat rhythm. Man, if that's not being able to, to satisfy both parties, then I don't know what is. And simply speaking, find somewhere else to go. Sometimes they won't be your favorite weekends, but they're going to honor God and they'll allow us to be attractional as well as missional in our approach to Sunday mornings. Sundays will also be family friendly for a 21st century family. That means we're going to be moving our children's Sunday school to the 10 a.m. service as well. So what does that look like? Well, it plays into our next one, which is small groups, small groups. Many of us have been in church long enough to recognize the importance of Sunday school classes. But as a society moves forward and we shift and we change, we need to provide forums and avenues for people who haven't been brought up in church to get plugged in. What I mean by this is that people are busier today than they've ever been. Right or wrong, they're busier today than they've ever been. So the idea of committing to almost three hours on a Sunday morning is hard. It's incredibly difficult. Beyond that, current stats will tell you that we live, because we live in the age of technology, the age of information that I talked about a little bit earlier, people need community now more than ever. 
not just a community that sits in a room together and listens to someone teach. We are the body of Christ, absolutely. But if all you're doing to feed yourself is coming to Sunday morning services, you are missing out on an opportunity to engage with other believers who believe the same thing you do, who want to love you through your trials, who want to celebrate your triumphs, who want to go to your kids' baseball games and soccer games and, 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 and come and see you. Man, I get, a part, I get to be a part of Dave's small group on a regular, Dave Fox's small group on a regular basis. And I look forward to Wednesdays for someone else to come and just pour into me where I don't have to worry about pouring into other people. But it's not just about the curriculum. It's about the opportunity to be in relationship with others, other people who believe the same thing where I can talk about the things that I'm going to, that I'm struggling with, the things that are hard for our family and be supported in that way, in a way that a normal church service cannot do. So we want to provide opportunities for normal broken people to help disciple and move forward by normal broken people. And that's what these groups are designed to do. We'll get together. We'll talk about what we are in life, where we are in life, study the word, talk about how being a devoted follower of Christ should impact the way that we're living on a regular basis. And so, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more, but largely this has been Jeff's responsibility. Some of you had asked me, have asked me, okay, since you came on, what are Jeff's responsibilities now? A big one moving forward is Jeff is going to be the pastor to small groups. He's going to get the opportunity to one, not only implement some training that's going to happen for small group leaders, but also he's pushing towards a big old small group launch that we're going to get to have in the fall. And we're incredibly excited about that, but we're moving towards small groups and it's going to trigger some changes in and among our programming starting February 3rd the adults in the majority hear me the majority of our Sunday school classes will be asked to consider joining a small group right now we have a a few options for small groups during the week at varying times and Jeff and our office staff will be able to help uh, uh, on-ramp you into those groups Um, there are two groups that will continue to meet Dave Fox's Bible study will meet through the end of the school year, and it'll be asked to consider joining a small group after that. And Gene Cotton Gim's Bible study called Got to Be True. Where am I got to be truers at in here? Woo woo. They're the quiet ones. They're like, we're here. Um, but that group will continue to meet in perpetuity. One of the things that we're trying to do is continue, like I said, to honor the past while be able to move forward. And those people who are in that group, who have been a part of that group longer than I've been alive, get every opportunity, continue to meet with that group. And we will not take that away from them. So got to be true, continue to stay. This also has ramifications for our students and kids, starting with students. Students will be joining us during our normal services on Sunday morning and then relaunching their Sunday and Wednesday night programs with an emphasis on excellence and an emphasis on small groups. Our children's Sunday school classes, like I said, will be moved to the same hour as our worship service. So that's 10 o'clock. This means there will no longer be a program for kids under the age of 18 during our Sunday school hour. And I know that's a real hard pill for some of you to swallow. And I get it. I grew up in Sunday school. It's got a place that's near and dear to my heart. But again, we're not here to marry our method. We're married to our model and we have to figure out how to engage young believers, new believers in a 21st century context. So some of the things that'll do to, to help uh, our, our children's ministry as we move their Sunday school to 10 o'clock is there's been a concern of lack of volunteers for a really long time in that ministry, largely since Pastor Betty got sick. 
because Pastor Betty was so good at on-ramping people and bringing people into the fold and allowing them to volunteer in different contexts and that sort of thing. But what that'll do then is we have been putting on programs at nine o'clock with one set of volunteers and 10, 15 with another set of volunteers. So what we get to do is cram all those volunteers together and be able to have a, a more bolstered and healthier children's program for our kids. And beyond that, we're launching a brand new curriculum that's going to focus on reading the Bible and scripture and where and, and learning those things through activity, through bolstered technology, um, through, through, of course, crafts and snacks, because you can't do kids church without crafts and snacks. Um, but there will be, there will be a, an eye towards excellence and an eye towards small groups as well. I've asked our children's directors to begin implementing that curriculum That'll be more comprehensive in that way and beyond that to figure out how we can allow our kids and our children's ministry to be in small groups with one another. The third one is service. And I don't know if I've ever met a more giving church when it comes to missions than ours. And I know I'm going long, deal with it. But I don't know if I've ever met a more giving church when it comes to missions than ours. Giving 10% of our annual budget to missions work is a rarity And I applaud you for that. That's hard to do, especially with the financial situation that we've been in in the past. So that being said, thank you for your generosity in giving to to missions. That being said, most of us have lost touch with serving in our local community. And I'm to blame as well. I live on this side of 11th. I work on this side of 11th. My kids go to school on this side of 11th. If I'm not careful, there are weeks where I don't make it back to the heart of our community, which is downtown. And a place that's in some of the most need in our entire area, which is downtown. We need to re-engage with our city, re-engage with our community through regular service opportunities that'll take us outside our comfort zone and outside the safety of the walls of our beautiful church and give back to that community that we are indeed still a part of. We've already implemented some things with local organizations. We'll talk more extensively about some of these organizations in the weeks to come. Um, But we have to fall back in love with Kings County and allow the people who live in Kings County to know that we love them and we want to love them well. It's not an option. So let's look at some of these changes and we'll, We'll get you out of here so you can discuss how much you hate or love me based on your opinion of this morning. Couple changes, okay? Immediate changes. First one is our rebrand. After that, ministry alignment. And third thing, building maintenance and upgrades. I talked about the rebrand. Our ministry alignment is what I talked about a little bit. Children's, uh, students, everybody will be implementing these same five things. Every ministry we do will be implementing these same five things. The last thing is building maintenance and upgrades. We have a beautiful facility. We need to focus on it a little bit though. And so you'll be hearing more about this later as we get towards the, the annual meeting and that sort of thing in some ways that we think that we can free up some funds to be able to do a few more things. But that being said, we've already done quite a few things since I've been here. Um, if you, if most of you don't notice, I noticed it every Sunday when I got here is that when I was talking, I would hear myself a half second later after I was talking, because I don't know if, you, I don't know if you're aware, we meet in a massive metal box and my voice hit that back wall and came right back and smacked me in the face. And I don't sound that good. I'm thankful you guys are here because my voice annoys me. But so we got the opportunity to do some things. We had an anonymous donor come and give us a, a pretty large check 
to be able to put sound panels in the back to hopefully reduce some noise in the room, um, to be able to hear a little bit more clearly as we're doing worship. Um, that being said, we have some other things that we like to have. We got this massive center screen that's right above me, which is phenomenal. No one gets neck pains as they come to church anymore, looking at the side screens over there. Um, but we have some other things that we, uh, we want to be able to do, um, and we'll give you more information on that later on. February 3rd. So four weeks from today, first thing, service time moved to 10 a.m. Don't forget, 10 a.m. If you walk in at 10.15, Kyle's going to say something about it on stage, okay? Next thing that we're going to do is most adult Sunday school classes will be encouraged to migrate into small groups, okay? If, if your small group or your Sunday school class is shutting down, um, which is there's a couple of us and we've had most of those conversations already and you still want to be able to utilize the nine o'clock hour or the, the Sunday school hour. Um, like I said, Dave's group is a great option or we can on-ramp you into different small groups that are happening throughout the week. Um, the next thing is Kids Sunday School is going to move to 10 a.m. Um, and I already told you why we're going to do that. And the last thing is our student ministry relaunch. Uh, our student ministries department, um, they've, they've been just kind of in maintenance mode for a long time. And so uh, with hiring our children's work directors, uh, Jeff is going to be overseeing our children's directors. And I'm now overseeing student ministries. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been brainstorming and dreaming and figuring out what student ministries looks like. The context of teenagers and preteens in a, in a 21st century world. And we've come up with some really, really exciting ideas. Part of which is them being able to free up some money to be able to uh, make our choir room that will continue to be a multi-purpose room, but make our choir room a space for students to be able to be in on a regular basis. And so there's some really cool things happening over there. Um, and then throughout the year, first thing is we'll, we're going to be doing a constitutional revision. The vote is going to be on January 2nd. I'm putting together a team right now um, to be able to help walk me through that. I know we tried to do a constitutional revision, I don't know, 18 months ago, two years ago, whatever it was, two and a half years ago now, um, that ultimately didn't go through. And that's okay. Uh, and I mostly say that's okay because I want our constitution to align with our vision, just like everything else that we'll be doing here. As I want it to work in the context that we are doing, not in the context that used to work. Man, we want to be laser focused. So everything that we're going to do is going to point directly towards our mission, which is what? Love God, love people, serve the world. Good. And then our, uh, the next one is a, a bolstered small group launch. That's going to happen in August or September. And so uh, Jeff has goals for how many groups that he wants to launch. And he's working at recruiting small group leaders. And he'll be training them over the summer. Um, and then the last step throughout the year is going to be local mission, missional partnerships. And that's going to be ongoing. But we need to figure out how, what, what opportunities there are in Kings County for us to be able to serve. We need to figure out, we, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We need to figure out who's already on the ground and figure out ways to be able to support them. And so that's going to be an ongoing conversation. We'll have our, our, uh, our missions committee have conversations about it and that sort of thing. But you'll see when the budget is released next week, there's some changes that we made regarding some, uh, some missions funds that are going to be directed straight back into the heart of Kings County, which we're really excited about as well. So what I want to remind you is that none of this is for our comfort. I think I've been pretty clear on that. None of this is for the sake of Peter. None of this is for the sake who have been serving here as long as I've been alive. All of this is for the sake of the kingdom and both introducing to people, people to Jesus as well. And I know, like Nehemiah, when it comes to change, there will be those who oppose it. And that's okay. And there will be those who are going to wrestle with this. 
and that's okay. But what I would ask you is to not be like those people that we find in Nehemiah 4, 19 and 20, where it says, Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we're widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of a trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Right before this verse, it talks about people were scoffing at them, ridiculing them, doing everything they could to hinder progress. I would ask you, if you have issues with anything that I have said this morning, please have a conversation with me. Please come and have a conversation with me. Never once have I closed my door to somebody who wanted to come in and have a conversation with me about anything. It's wide open. Jeff's is wide open. Kyle's is wide open. My email address is peter at fbhamford.org. I'll be home in four days. Don't expect a response until then. But please come and have a conversation with us and don't end up on the other side of things. We want all of us to be able to move forward as a church, as a ministry. And I know change isn't easy, but I think that lasting change is done in the same way that you eat an elephant, which is what? One bite at a time. It's difficult, but we can do it. And my hope would be that when we look up from our meal with that elephant, that it would be gone and the people of FBH would have made a lasting change that would make it hard for people in the Central Valley to go to hell. That's the same thing I told the pulpit committee. And that's where I want to be transparent with you today. I truly believe the best years of FB Hanford are yet to come. And I believe that God has put a plan at the forefront of my mind and he has confirmed that plan as I talked with our pastoral staff. He's confirmed that plan as I talked with our board, with our pulpit committee, with our lay leaders, and now you. But in all these things, we desire to honor Christ. And like I said at the outset, we as a church will not train, change our doctrinal views that we are, and, our, and our very tightly held biblical beliefs. And one of those things is the opportunity to come to the table. So I know you guys are looking at your watches right now. You know what? We're going to honor the Lord this morning. We're going to come to the table. So I'm going to invite Jeff to come forward. I'm going to invite Kyle to come forward. We're going to partake of the elements this morning.